This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest, a U.S. Air Force vet, single father of four, coach, mentor, and a motivational speaker who is on a mission to create Faithfully Led Tribe. With us today, we have Sean Romero. How's it going? How's it going? Hey, what's going on, brother? How's everything, man? Appreciate you having me on. No problem. It's a pleasure to have you here. So before we get into business, I want to talk to you about a few things that you've done in your, uh, in your past. And yeah. you were for 17 years uh, in the United States Air Force. Correct. Correct. So that, that just by itself is already super cool. So thank you very much for that. No, no, thank and you. for 14 of those years, you were the crew chief of the F-16 crew. Is that right? That's correct. I was a crew chief on F-16 Fighting Falcons. Um, you know, they're the same aircraft that you see at air shows with uh, the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds, um, that same type of aircraft, single engine, single seat fighter. Uh, and uh, I, I did that for 14 and a half years. I was the lead trainer on that. So I developed all the different kind of training programs and stuff, and I trained the brand new crew chiefs that were coming in. And uh, our responsibility as a crew chief is basically is literally to do everything on the airplane to maintain the airplane from nose to tail, from putting air in the tires to literally removing wings, landing gear, engines, and then put it all back together, make sure there's no pieces missing. <laughs> and then um, I was that guy that I was one of the senior guys that, that were qualified to jet in, get in the jet. We'll tow it out to the flight line, and I'd start it up and do engine runs. And so I'd operate all the, I'd operate the aircraft as if the pilot was operating it, and um, you know operate all the systems that we have to do for ops checks and stuff like that. And then once it was good, we'd sign off on it and then give it back to ops so they can go ahead and use it in permissions. Nice. So these are these are twenty thirty million dollar planes we're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. The the F sixteens that I was working on, they were like thirty two million dollar air aircraft. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it was pretty big responsibility, right? It's not a normal. Oh everyday. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you when you're doing something like that, I mean, you have thousands of moving parts, and you know, as a crew chief, you actually have to notice every single little thing that's going on. I mean, everything from like the smallest screw that might be out of place or might be backing off that you have to make sure that that is fitting properly with the proper assembly and things like that. So, you know, even when you're checking stuff, when the engine's running, you know, there's panels that you have to look inside the engine bay while the engine's running and you have to make sure that you don't have any loose clothing or anything like that to get sucked in there. And then, you know, all that's different things. And, and also the flight controls are moving around and the F-16 is a small aircraft. Yeah. So you have to watch yourself and, you know, with the air flight controls moving around and as you get hit, man, it, 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 It'll knock you out. It'll, it'll leave a scar. It'll leave a scar. <laughs> so do you fly them as well? I actually was one of the few that actually would, was awarded an incentive ride. So I do have flight time in the actual F-16. So I've got a backseat ride. Uh, and the aircraft that I actually had my name on, that was my personal aircraft that I crewed. Um, and uh, I got to uh, fly the F-16, pulled nine Gs, uh, the whole kit and caboodle rolling and banking and all that other stuff. So, you know, and as a pilot, you know, it, it's a dream for me. And uh, it, it was, it was the greatest roller coaster ride you could ever imagine. I, that's the only way I could put it. Nice. So you also have 630 flight hours on something a lot bigger than that. Is that, isn't that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, I was a flight engineer on the KC 10 a uh, extender. It's basically the, um, militarized version of the DC-10 civilian airliner and cargo, and uh, it's the air refueling tanker. So, you know, when we are traveling overseas, it can do dual duty. It can, you know, act as a cargo aircraft, but it also can act as a cargo and refueler. So there's uh, plenty of times where we had cargo in the back, and then we're actually offloading fuel to receivers. Wow. Coming up and you know, hooking up and, you know, and there's things that we did also early in my career. I actually, I, I was, I'm like so proud of this. I actually got my very first actual mission in the KC-10 real world mission was a USO tour mission with uh, Kid Rock. So I got to take Kid Rock on tour, um, him and Carlos Mencia and uh, 
yeah, we took them around the Middle East and, and Europe and things like that. So, which is pretty cool. And we got to show them what we did. You know, we had a couple F-15s come up, take some gas off the boom. And, you know, and I was just very blessed to go around the world and, and see it, you know, the way the world from, from that perspective. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's, that's exciting. So, that, uh, the KC-10A, that, is that the big plane we see, like, refueling the Air Force One? Um, yeah yeah like if you know as a matter of fact if you ever watched the movie air force one with harrison ford the actual air refueler that he's that the airplane's pulling up to that's actually a kc-10 yeah so yeah so it's it's got three big engines it holds a ton of gas it can go super far you know it's got a long leg so it's and it can actually take on gas also it can actually refuel also so it's 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 pretty cool you know it's like a take on gas it'll give gas and you know it does a lot of things it's 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 a it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun so oh man so listen just just talking to you uh, about this i'm all excited but i just thought of something that if that was your life that was your career for 17 years correct when you leave something like that how can you maintain that level of adrenaline yeah that's a great question so when i was when i left the air force and it wasn't on you know my it wasn't by choice there was a, a lot of politics that got involved and um you know basically my commander and i just didn't see eye to eye there was a big changing of the guard in my unit and um you know and there's a lot of great people that are still there so um you, you know which is awesome but literally right after that i signed my divorce papers so I literally had to transform my entire world from going from, you know, this crew chief on F-16s and being a married dad of four to being a divorced single dad of four, having to redefine what I did and who I was. And so that really, it really hit home. It really hit really hard because I, I suffered through a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, just trying to keep everything going and to keep, stay at that level a performance because you know when you go to work you know just like anything else you know it's a, for me it was a nine to five you know but it was a different nine to five for me you know i was working on 30 million dollar airplanes you know where it was like hey this is legit you know people's lives are at risk and you know every time this jet goes up but you know when that's taken away from you you have to redefine yourself in that in that aspect to where you have to find a way to because we don't join the military to you know, be heroes. We don't join it to have the, you know, that sensation of having to that rush or when it's not, it's not anything like that. It's, it's because we want to serve a higher, higher purpose, a purpose that's greater than ourselves. You know, we want to do something that's greater than ourselves because this is what we're being called to do. And when that's no longer there, you have to find that. And what I did was I, I divulged myself into my faith. Um, and when, after, you know, using my faith as that foundation, you know, what I did was my higher purpose was, well, I've got all these qualifications. I'm a John Maxwell certified trainer. You know, I have my life insurance license here in the state of New Jersey. So why not use what I'm doing and what I'm going through to try to start transforming other people's lives that are like myself, other veterans, other men who are going through this, this type of stuff. And, you know, that's, that's how I was able to maintain that and to kind of continue to go through that. Amazing. So you said, you are certified John C. Maxwell uh, coach, speaker, and mentor, right? How does that happen? Because I know John C. Maxwell, he's like the biggest auth leadership author in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he, he is. He's like the biggest leadership guru. I mean, everybody goes in. I mean, you got leadership gurus like, you know, Les Brown and, and Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and, and John Maxwell. You know, John Maxwell's up there at the pinnacle. Um, it was funny how I didn't even know how you know, in the beginning, didn't even know how I could do it, but I was actually at a training seminar for a, for promotion rather down in Tennessee. And we had a guest speaker and she was a retired chief master sergeant. And afterwards I spoke to her because I've always had this drive to be able to teach and be able to be on stage and to be able to speak, but to inspire people. I, it's, it, I want to inspire people. I think that that's my God given gift to inspire people to go out there and show them. I would, bring tours on the base and they would call me like, Hey, Sean, go out. There's a tour out there. Go out and talk about the F-16. I'm like, yes, all right, we got to go, you know, and I have these kids and just to see their eyes light up and just the people just light up and to understand that like, this is something, you know, so I've always had it in me. And so I spoke to her about it and she said, yeah, there's an actual program that he has. 
And so I was like, all right. So I looked into it and I found it and I enrolled in it and I did my part. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm in Orlando at the John Maxwell certification seminar and that he holds only twice a year. And there, there he goes. And I'm right there with the man on stage, man. And, you know, it's, it was pretty awesome. You know, it, it was just an incredible, incredible experience. And I've gained so much experience from that. And I've actually gained so many friends from that, too, that are in the coaching community. That it's just, it's just amazing. It was just an amazing experience. Yeah, no kidding. That, that's, that's incredible. I read a few books of his. And uh, I guess one that marked me was 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Yeah. Yes. As a matter of fact, I actually hold masterminds for that. Yeah. Um, and it's free, 100% free, 21 irrefutable laws of leadership that I'll, I usually set up, uh, you know, webinars and masterminds. And it takes a few weeks to, to go through them all. But, you know, we, we knock them out. And I mean, and it's transformational. It really is, especially whether it, you're in leadership and business or whether it's something that you want to do in your personal life. You know, these are things that are just transformational. And, you know, not everyone is good at every single one, but you know, the ones that you are good at that you can resonate will all definitely change your life. Nice. So the flying and all that stuff, you, you would never give that up, would you? So you no. still do anything related to that? Yeah. Well, yeah, actually. So I, cause you know, as a maintainer, you know, I, I love working on airplanes. You know, that's, that's my passion. I've studied aviation since I was six years old. You know, I grew up in New York city and uh, one of my first class trips was, was to the uh, museum, the USS Intrepid, on the west side uh, of New York. And they taught us about uh, aerodynamics. And I was hooked, okay? And I'm also from the generation of Top Gun. So as soon as I saw Top Gun, I was like, I have to fly Tomcats. I yeah. have to do that. That's I have to do that. So, um, you know, but I was hooked on any little article, any toy, anything I could get my hands on that was, you know, aviation-related. I, I it was I would had it, and so and to this day I still do it. So I'm actually in process of getting my certification with the FAA for uh, my airframe and power plant certification, so I could be a maintainer, you know, so I can work on small airplanes to just to, as a hobby because that's something I mind. But um, I'm also finishing up all of my currencies, so because I'm a, I'm a licensed private pilot with the FAA, so I'm finishing up my currencies for my commercial, my multi-engine, and to become a certified flight instructor because again my passion is teaching. And to be able to teach and train someone, be able to see that that change in someone, you know, especially in the air, it's it, it truly is transformational. It really is. Yeah, and being a licensed private pilot, can you fly uh, stuff like as big as let's say Grand Cardone's jet? Could you could you be his pilot? <laughs> Um, no, you know, not, I, I would have to get certified on that. I still need a few more hours to get trained up on that, but eventually, yeah, I could, you know, and get certified, but you know, it's, it, it, flying is flying. It's not hard, you know, especially nowadays. I mean, the, the, the way aircraft are with all the automation and stuff, it's pretty, you know, plug and play really. I mean, the aircraft pretty much does most of the stuff, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, the KC-10 where I was literally the guy in the middle where I did all the math. You know, I had to do all the computations, all that, you know, getting all the takeoff and landing data saying, hey, all right, guys, we're at this weight. So this is your airspeed that you have to be at to rotate. And we need X amount of feet for the runway to take off this and that and a third, you know, and calculating the winds and all this stuff, taking all that stuff into account. And, uh, you know, nowadays it's just, hey, plug the stuff in the computer, yeah. the computer spits everything out. So it's like, it's pretty simple. So on the KC-10, you literally had to do that math yourself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had to get, uh, you know, do all the weight and balance and everything. So my, uh, my boom operator who also operated as the load master. So if we we're carrying cargo, he'd give me a zero gravity uh, weight. And then I would get that zero grab that center of gravity rather. And then I would plot it on a map that I had on a chart. And then I would get the best possible, um, angle of attack to where I would be burning the fuel to get either the best burn rate and then if we weren't getting that best burn rate for the fuel so we can kind of conserve fuel, um, then, you know, I would figure that out on how to get on that scale. And yeah. so that way, you know, the airplane is always in perfect balance, you know, and especially like when we're moving fuel around and because you have to move fuel around every now and again, you know, you have to, as it's burning through the tanks, you know, you're like, you have to, you have a plan. You're like, all right, I'm going to burn it out of this tank. Then I'm going to burn it out of this tank and I'll burn it out of this tank and, you know, always keep it balanced and you always have emergency procedures. So like, you know, Hey, we're going to dump it out of here. We're going to dump it, you know, so, or we're going to just do massive dump 
out of everything, you know, so, you know, to get it down to a certain amount and, you know, it, it's, it took a lot of, uh, it took a lot of math, a lot of, you know, studying and stuff, but it was, it was an incredible experience. Wow. So Sean, after you, you mentioned that you, you got divorced. This was after you, you left uh, that life or you were still there? Yeah, no, it was literally a week after I had to resign out of the Air Force. Uh, it was five days after, I, I, February 8th, I resigned out of the Air Force. And then February 13th, I was signing my divorce papers. So it was like a big one-two punch, you know, man. It was like, yeah. you know, that punch in the face and punch in the gut. It was just, it, it was very, very traumatic. I, I'd never experienced something like that, you know. And I've experienced a lot of things, you know, that were traumatic and life-changing. and But that will on a scale like that was just uh it was unprecedented so what did that do to you um psychologically you know it put me in a very deep you know anxious state and um you know the anxiety of having to now care for all these kids by myself you know because my ex-wife at the time she just wanted to live her life you know now uh, the relationship between her and I are is a lot better. You know, we're, we can pretty much almost say that we're friends now, but for that beginning part, it wasn't, you know, so, mm -hmm. you know, she was living her life. She wanted to live her life. And so I was there with the kids, you know, somebody had to be there for the kids. So that was me. And so to have all that, and I have kids ranging from 13 to three, you know, so it, there's a huge range right there. And it just took its toll. It took its toll a lot. So I was, you know, I dealt with deep anxiety, deep depression, um, you know, so that's why I really divulged myself into my faith. And that really set the foundation for me to be able to pick myself back up, redefine myself and move forward. Awesome. So moving forward, who are you today? And kind of how does this normally you know, like Tony Robbins always says that the worst thing that happened to you uh, most of the times is the best thing that ever happened to you. Yes, absolutely. So did this influence you kind of on what you're doing today and, and all that? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt. Before it was, you know, hey, it was kind of like I dabble here and there and tell people what I did. And it was something that I, I wanted to do because I enjoyed it. Uh, but it was also something in the back of my mind saying, you know, one day this is what I want to do. You know, when I'm retired from the Air Force and, you know, when I, you know, and I plan to retire on my terms, not their terms. And, uh, you know, this was a, definitely a life defining moment. So, you know, it definitely made me into the man that I am today to be more inspirational because I was that guy. I was on the floor. I was on my back. You know, like Les Brown says, you know, if you fall down, make sure you fall on your back because if you're looking up. You can get, you can get up. up. Oh, yeah. So, you know, exactly. So, and, and, and it just inspired me to really do that. You know, when I looked at my kids, I said, hey, you know, I got to do something more for them. I have to. You know, I owe it to them. But not only that, you know, what I also learned in the military is like, if I'm not taking care of myself, how can I lead my men? If I'm not setting that example, how can I lead my airmen into battle and expect them to do the right thing also? So, you know, I, that's why I, I got up and I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this. You know, and, and I was there. I literally was you know, hours from being evicted from my apartment because of, you know, the cash flow, the stress from the, you know, the divorce and all this other stuff and then the, the lack of the, the financial difficulties and things like that. So to be able to to go from that to where I am now, to be able to be, you know, be on a podcast like this and be able to go out there and change lives on a level that is that was pretty much you would only find in you know, in a corporate America, higher corporate America, or if you were in the military and learning about that, you know, this, that's, that's what I'm bringing to the table now to be able to change lives on that level. And, you know, we see every day, you know, the, the constant negativity that's out there, you know, the constant barrage, especially on men, you know, and, and calling masculinity toxic and things like that. And, you know, it's a lot of times it's, it's just hyperbole or just, you know, going over the top when it really isn't and unnecessary. But what it does, it, it takes a huge effect on the psyche and to be able to bring yourself back up and to get out of that, you know, that takes a lot of resiliency. It takes a lot of, you know, courage. And I want to inspire other people to be able to do that because if I can do it, they can do it. There's no doubt that they can go out there and knock it out. Absolutely. So, Sean, is there any or what are the best tools 
that we could use to overcome doubt and depression? Well, what I like to teach, and this is something I learned in the Air Force, and this is a, a theory that is, we've been taught for a long time, is how we teach our fighter pilots to think. It's called the OODA loop, um, and, and it stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. And uh, it was created by Colonel John Boyd back in the 50s. And Colonel John Boyd, he was a fighter pilot. He was a fighter pilot instructor. And what he did was he trained the pilots to think outside the box because at the time, after World War II, you know, we're starting moving into a fast moving aircraft, the jets, where, you know, the, the pace was actually a lot, becoming a lot quicker. And the advent of, you know, being able to go close to supersonic and then supersonic and missiles and things like that. So you had to change the tactics. And he came up with this theory. So with, you know, every day we go through our rote routines. And we have, you know, we'll get up in the morning, we'll go wash up, or we'll take a shower, get ready for work, put the kids in the car, take them to school. We have that routine. But the minute that routine becomes, you know, there, it's something gets stuck in the middle of it, where you get a flat tire, or you have to get a, rearrange your way to work, or you wake up late, that sets your day to the point where it opens up the door for anxiety, it opens up the door for anger, it opens up the door for depression. So with the OODA loop, you can take that. So you start at the top with the observation phase. So the observation phase is your information gathering phase. So you take all that information, everything that you got in there. So let's say you're in your car and then you're going to work. Then all of a sudden there's an accident and you're already running late. You're already behind schedule. You're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? So you, you immediately take in all that information. So if you're, if you're seeing it from like a half mile out or a mile out, you're like, all right, I can make a left here. I can make the detour here. You're already starting to observe all that information. So then you're going to orient yourself in the best possible decision to, to the best possible position to make that decision. So like if you're doing that, and this is the most critical phase, this is the most critical phase because when you're orienting yourself, this is where you could either lose it or you can either really nail it. Because if you're sitting in your coordinates in your GPS in your car, and you're sitting there and you get the, it doesn't come up or you get the address wrong or whatever. So now you got to kind of go by whatever it is. And even back in the day, you just have, you know, the old maps, you know, you highlighting the route and stuff, you know, if you're not orienting yourself in that best possible way, you can get distracted and then you'll just kind of like lose it. And then you get stuck in that way, you know, and this is also works for big picture and small picture. So we're talking about small picture right now, everyday functional life. So you, you set your way, you see, all right, there's an accident, you go to left, and you go left, and then what happened? Everybody else is going left, you know, so it's still slowing you down, you know, and then you're trying to say, all right, you're in your neighborhood, and you're like, okay, you know what, I know I can go through here, make a right here, and I can still shave a few minutes. So now you've gone from that orientation phase, so you've selected that, that path, and you said, okay, now I'm going to decide on this path. So you've taken, in the orientation phase, you've taken all that information, You've, di you, you've met, gone through it, you sifted through it, you, you've gotten down to the nitty gritty what you wanted, and then you're going to decide on that action, and then you act on it. So once you've made that decision, you've actually, this, you're basically testing your hypothesis. So you're, you're thinking like, okay, if I go this way, I know that I go down a few blocks, make a left, go around here, and make a right at the Dairy Queen, possibly still get some coffee or whatever, Dunkin' Donuts, and then I'm good to go. And then you're going to act on it. And then when you act on that, then all the actions just flow through. And then you enter, re-enter the loop again because once you decide on that action, you may have found a different route, but also you may have, you know, put yourself even further behind. Mm -hmm. So now you have to reobserve everything. You have to reobserve what's going on. You may, you may say, hey, I don't have that extra time for coffee now. I don't have that. You know, you have to reobserve everything. But and that's how that loop works. And you're constantly doing that. I mean, we do that every single day subconsciously. We don't even think about it. But when we break it down in this way and we understand the loop and how to break it down, it, it, it relieves a lot of anxiety. It leaves a lot of you know, frustration because now you're, you're becoming more cerebral. You're, you're becoming more focused. You know, the difference between a tactician and a strategist is a strategist thinks big picture. Okay, so we're all strategists in the morning. So we're, we're strategizing our day. We're laying it out. But as we're going through that day, now a tactician acts on every single moment. Okay, so you're sitting there 
And you're going through those moments. You're going through your phases of your day. You're, you're becoming that tactician throughout your day. And so if you're understanding how that loop works and you can break it down, it's going to relieve that anxiety because you're embracing that uncertainty. You're expecting that uncertainty because the minute you don't expect that uncertainty, that's when you, you break your foot. That's when everything else works. And then you're like, you feel like the world is coming down and then you're like, you're just living for Friday. Yeah. But if you break down that loop, it, you, you're not having to live for Friday. You're having to understand that, that, that uncertainty, it's going to happen. You know, that uncertainty is going to happen. And it, the, the sooner you can embrace it, the sooner you can break it down and break it down into pieces so that way you can manage it better. And that's what I, that's what I did. That's, that's really got me out of it. And that's, that's what I teach on my core teaching. Absolutely. So we should embrace uncertainty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if we don't, I mean, we're always fighting against it. I mean, and, and if you think about it in life, we don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. And our uncertainty could be somebody else's disaster. And so if something happens to us, you know, then what happens to our family? You know, and, and if they, if we haven't set them up to embrace that uncertainty to you know, deal with that, you know, traumatic loss or that, that now that disaster, then what, you know, or for us personally, all right, if we don't know if we're going to the store and we get into a car accident, you know, could that put us in financial ruin? Could that put us in a position where we, you know, are now out of work, you know, we lost our car, whatever, you know, we don't know that. We don't know what's going to happen. Everything about life is uncertain. So the minute we start embracing that and understanding that fact, the anxiety is, is no longer there. I mean, you're always going to have a certain level of anxiety, especially in the moment. You know, I always taught people this. I always taught my crew chiefs this, is that, you know, you, it's like when you're becoming emotional, that's like fuel, okay? That's your fuel. And if you're not able to contain that, and if you're just leaving it on the floor and you're burning it, it's just going to burn wild. It's going to burn wild until it extinguishes. And when there's no more fuel, there's no more fire, and then what's left behind? nothing but charred ruins and you know, have to go back to square one and rip everything apart and rebuild everything. Yep. But if you put that fuel in a container and you're actually being able to transfer that fuel into another container like your fuel tank, now that fuel is being able to move your vehicle. And that vehicle is you. And when you're emotional, that's your fuel. But if you're able to harness those emotions, and understand it and embrace those emotions, you'll be able to refuel your passion because that's what makes a difference. When you're passionate about something, that's what makes a difference. You know, you can be emotional about something and like you can go to, hey, you know, you can go to a Tony Robbins seminar. You can go to a, a John Maxwell seminar. You can go to a Sean Romero seminar. You can go whatever. And then we can get you fired up. We can get you fired up. You can listen to Les Brown every morning. You can get fired up and you get emotional about it. Like, yes, I'm changing my life. Yes, yes, yes. But what are you passionate about? Are you taking that emotion and putting it into your passion? And with that passion, that's what's going to change life. That's what changes lives, not your emotion. Your emotions don't change your life. Your emotion will move you from one point to the next. But once that emotion runs out, you're spent. And then you're not going to want to do it. But when you're passionate about something, it doesn't matter what somebody tells you. It doesn't matter what somebody, you know, what the naysayers say. It doesn't matter what happens in life because you've embraced all that uncertainty. That passion stays with you and it burns bright and you can continue to move forward and make a difference. Yeah. I can. I will. I must. Amen. Yep. Amen. Yep. Right on. So when you were talking about that, uh, you know, um, the frustration and your emotions, I was thinking of something new that I learned that I've been using lately and is the fact that I don't think anymore that things happen to me, they happen for me. So when something happens, I try to think why they could possibly be happening for me, what good is gonna come from this? As, as a man of faith, do, do you see it that way? You try to think like, okay, this, this was done for me, so something good is going to come from here probably? Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, and, and again, in the moment, everyone's human and everyone thinks about, you know, why me? You know, I mean, even in, you know, in scripture, you know, even when, when you know, 
Jesus Christ was on the cross. He, you know, he even said, you know, you know, Lord, why, Father, why have you forsaken me? You know, and so everyone's going to feel that in the moment. You know, everyone's going to feel that like, oh my gosh, why me? Hmm. But then when you get through that emotion and you take that emotion and you turn it into your passion, then you understand it's not about you. It's for you. It's a new tool to help you move forward. It's the new, it's the refuel to get you over that hump. You know, in, in, in fighter pilot turns and fight parlance, it's you hitting the tanker to go put more warheads on foreheads to end the war faster. You know what I mean? So you can go home sooner. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, once you're passionate about that and, and understand that it is for you, it re really truly is for you. It really truly is. And again, once you get out of that mindset of the moment, you'll understand that, yeah, you know, in, in the big picture, grand scheme of things, you may not see it now, but in a year from now, you're going to be a changed person. You know, you're going to be completely there. I'm a completely changed person from what I was a year ago. And from what I was a year ago to trying to, you know, putting forth everything and just starting the whole process of really getting it out there and starting Faithfully Led and really getting out there and finding my niche and being able to find out what it was I was so passionate about, you know, then to where I am now, where I know what I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm passionate about embracing that uncertainty and teaching that uncertainty and being able to, you know, you know, be innovative and start turning people around and making them passionate about embracing their uncertainty, no matter what it is in their life. You know, whether it's, it's, you know, Hey, they're starting a family. They, they don't know, you know, or their family is ending or their career is ending or they're starting a new career, you know, and doing something positive and, and changing the world, you know, and saying, Hey, you know, I'm giving this, I'm going, I'm going to see the world, you know, I'm going to go join the Peace Corps, you know, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And, and, and that's what it's all about. And it, it's definitely for you. It's always for you. And it's for your best. And, you know, and as a parent, you know that. And as you're, when you teach your children and they do something wrong, you don't scold them just because, you know, you want them to feel your wrath. No. You want them to be better people and you want them to be better than you. And so you know that that pain is only temporary for them, but it's for them to be greater people yeah that was beautiful Sean. that was amazing so listen today we all know that sean romero is an expert leadership teacher but um we know that now because we've seen it but how did you know getting into this did and why did you why leadership what made you pick that you know um i think it was more along the lines of just because my passion for teaching others. Even when I was in high school, I always was joining like the programs to be able to show everybody, like ambassadors, you know, they, they called it a student ambassador, you know, when I was in high school, you know, growing up, they're like, hey, you wanna be a student ambassador? I'm like, sure, what is that? You know, <laughs> they're like, yeah, yeah, well, you gotta go out and talk about the, the, the school. And, but, you know, as a teenager in the back of my mind, even though I was in an all boys school, I was like, Maybe I can, you know, when these families are coming by, I can probably maybe see their sister who's going to a different school, you know, just <laughs> that. But, but I was always passionate and loving about being able to talk about what was, what made me happy. I loved my school and be able to, to represent that in a way was just an amazing experience. And I was always taught that, you know, to represent your family in that way, to always carry yourself in that, in that way to where you're always out there and representing yourself and that just resonated with me on a deeper level and when i you know i have family that's i have a long line of history of family that was in the military i'm the only one that was in the air force and was able to do what I, i've done and you know i've had you know family that was nypd and, and this that and the third and so i've always wanted to be that protector i've always wanted to be that person on that line on that wall to show that hey you know it's okay i got you I got you. And as I progressed in my military career, the first thing I saw was like, okay, how, it's going to be awesome when I'm able to, you know, share my experience with other people and I'm able to get my own trainees. And once I did that, it was like an amazing transformational experience. So I think it was always in me. It was always something that was in me, always being able to, to share and, and to lead and to do that. It was, that was something that was always inside me. And I just didn't know 
how to really translate. And, uh, you know, I, as I did that and I learned more and I really studied more and really got into the craft where I would listen to something that was motivational every day. You know, I would listen to something that was motivational every day when I was something that was, I would even practice speeches in the shower, you know, mm -hmm. to, you know, pretending that I was talking on this large stage and going out there and telling people, you know, speaking about what I did and I hadn't even done anything yet. You know, <laughs> it was like, you know, I was out there, you know, giving out experiences and just, that was something that just kept driving me and driving me. And it was like, you know, I have to do this. And then when I was ambassadors, you know, on, on my, in my unit, when I was, I would work my uh, recruiters, we'd go out talking to schools. I'd talk about what it was like to be in the air force, what it was like to be a crew chief, what it was like to be able to serve you know, our nation, especially I was one of the fortunate ones that I served right before nine 11 and coming from New York, you know, I was, that hit me pretty deep. And I was able to see the devastation three days afterwards because um, mm -hmm. I was living in Vegas at the time when 9-11 occurred. And then so we got all recalled and I came back to base. But before I you know, went to base, I went down to I went to lower Manhattan. You know, I was down there and I saw the devastation with my own eyes. I remember see, smelling everything. I remember seeing the families. I remember seeing the, the faces. And I was like, I want to dedicate my life to helping people. And, you know, when I saw that and I afterwards and when I saw all these new airmen coming through and I had that experience, I wanted to translate that to make sure that they understood what wearing the uniform was, what being a better person in society was about, and to be able to help them become better people. So that way they understood that their legacy is important because you can be here today and then you'll be gone tomorrow. But what do you want people to remember about? You know, Bruce Lee said it best. He said, the key to immortality is first living a life worth remembering. Hmm. And if you're not living, we're not living our life to our full potential, then why are we even living? Les Brown said, you know, people, you know, die at 25 and just wait till they're 65 to be buried. And it's the truth. You know, we, we wait and, and the, the greatest, you know, the most richest place in the world is a cemetery, you know. And so I didn't want to live my life like that. I didn't want to live my life like that. And that's, and that's really what inspired me. And, and God just, just put it out me. And then whatever I could do, if it was airplanes, I would, have, if I had books, it would be an airplane book in one end and a leadership book in the other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the way it was. You know, so. All right. You know, you mentioned something there when you were talking about the 9-11 and you were there three days later. When it happened, and I was, I was in Europe, and this was, you know, a, a long time ago, you know, exactly when it was. But I, I was not on the site, but I can remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I heard that news, right? When I saw it for the first time. Yeah. So if I wasn't even that close, and I remember this, and you mentioned that you can remember the smells, the sounds, that must be such an experience. And I'm talking this because for being far away, I remember it. So somebody that was actually there like three days later and in it because, you know, uh, a lot of friends and were, were involved in it. It's, it's incredible how, how that marked us, right? Especially oh, you being there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th that was something like I'd never, and Growing up in New York, you know, <laughs> it was probably the greatest experience of my life. I loved it, you know, and some people are like, oh, you don't have that New York accent, but you, know, you get me upset, it'll come out, you know, and my kids every now and again, they were like, oh, where'd that come from? You know, it, 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 you know <laughs> when I was in Texas, you know, we, uh, my, my buddies and I, my best friends, Nate and Trevor, we'd roll, walk and we were based in uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, Shepherd Air Force Base, and we'd go into the mall. And that's my accent was pretty heavy at the time. And we'd walk, and people would literally stop me. I can't, and this is like right after 9-11. So people were like, oh, you know, New York, New York. And they would stop me, and they'd go, hey, you from New York? And I'm like, yep. And they're like, could you just say something in New Yorker? And I'm like, sure. You know? and I say, water, water. Hey, how you doing? Forget about it. You know, hey, hey. All right, you know, there you go. Is that, is that good enough for you? You know, <laughs> you know it, you can't evokes all those emotions. But that on that level, when I saw all those faces that were plastered and on, on the windows where there was literally no space to even look into stores, 
like every square inch of the windows were covered. And even like some apartment windows above had, had pictures of loved ones who were just trying to, you know, and it was such a humbling experience. I'll never forget that. I will never forget seeing everything for the first time when I was flying into JFK and I could see the, you know, the smoke still billowing up, you know, we're coming out off the Long Island Sound. I can see all that. I remember, you know, being in Las Vegas, you know, just like the rest of the world, watching everything on TV, getting ready for work. And it was just, you know, it's one of those experiences that you'll never forget. But it was a very humbling experience because it was something that was transformative that created me who I was and, and it transformed a lot of people, you know, and it transformed, uh, you know, thousands of people, you know, m- millions of people, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that you'll never forget, especially when you've been through it and you've seen it, even if you saw it on TV and you remember it very vividly and, you know, where, you know, my kids don't obviously don't know they're so young, but when I do take them to New York and we see the freedom tower, you know, I explain to them, you know, say, Hey, this was where this twin tower stood. You know, this is where this happened. This is what this was. And this is where, you know, and they, kind of understand it and then every 9-11 you know i will watch the videos you know that plays on tv and we'll go through that and you know my kids understand it you know they understand it and we we have a 9-11 memorial here in my township here in south jersey and uh you know we'll every 9-11 you know we'll go there and we'll pay our respects you know there's a piece of the world trade center there the south tower and it's you know there which is amazing they're like wow what is this about you know and i tell them all about it wow i can't believe it you know so it's one of those things, you know, and I'll never forget. I'll never forget walking on base for the first time and seeing my F-16 fully loaded with live weapons, hmm. you know, and it's like, it's a humbling experience. You go from, you know, seeing just the regular training weapons and stuff like that, that never, obviously never fire in the, but then now you've got the live weapons and everybody's armed to the teeth and everybody's like ready to roll and jets are launching, you know, at all hours of the day, we're, we're getting scrambled and we're still, you know, those are memories that I'll never, ever forget. Yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> Sean, you mentioned a few times your kids. Uh, I, have, I have three myself too. So how does, uh, talking about leadership and family and all that, how can we as men become better leaders inside our own home? That's a great, that, that's a great question, Quinn. Um, you know, and that's such an important one. That's a very important one. As men, we have to understand that we are, the, we are caretakers. Um, innately, we are the fixers. We are, you know, the protectors. We are the hunters. You know, that's just an innate, natural thing that we are. We have to understand, though, where the delicate balance of being able to be nurturers as well. Um, to be, because even the greatest, you know, most burly guys in history they were nurturers and being nurturers by showing what you've learned and being able to pass that down, you know, as either tradition or being able to learn lessons that, you know, pass them off as lessons to your children. And one of the ways to do that is that you have to be interactive with them. To ask them how their day was, but you also have to break up the monotony. You have to also, you know, joke with them. And I will joke with my kids all the time. I, you know, I, I, you know, say, say things, connect joke, you know, just to make it fun. And, and, you know, it's that way they can understand, they can resonate with me. But there's that line. There's a line that you always have to set because you can't be their best friends. Because at the end of the day, whether you're married or not, they're going to leave and they're going to have their own life. Okay. And it's your job to make sure that that when that day does come, that they are, they have all the tools that they need in their arsenal to be great people because they're representing you and your family. And so as they're growing up, you have to show them those little nuances. You have to show them why you do certain things, why certain things are the way they are. And you have to show them and say, this is right. And this is wrong, that there's no gray area. Here's right. and Here's wrong. And there's a reason why for that. Here's the moral aspect of it. And then here's just the logical aspect of it. There are certain breaking points you have to break those apart but if you're not able to communicate with them just like in anything else then that is always going to be a point of contention and that's always going to be lead to more infamiliarity later on 
uh, you know, and there's certain things like, listen, guys don't really like talking about, you know, the birds and the bees, you know what I mean? Especially with their daughters, you know, like I tell my daughters, you know, jokingly, I said, oh yeah, well, you're not going to get married to your 36. So it's not going to worry about it. You know I mean? It's, it's, it, we're not going to worry about that right now. You know, it's, it's not going to happen, you know, oh, you know, don't worry, daddy will jump in his jet and, you know, I can just drop some bombs, you know, it's all good, you know, going to obliterate that stuff. It's all good. Daddy's got friends, but, you know, all joking aside, you know, you know that that day is going to come and, you know, but you have to talk to them say, hey, you know, I'm there for you, but I, as a mentor, I'm not your best friend. I'm your parent and I'm, that's your mentor. The same way, you know, when you have that faith, when you look at your parents, your parents should be looked at as their mentors. They should be your heroes. And you, you should always want to represent them in a way that is respectful and honorable and a way that, you know, you're always going to have that feeling of pride, no matter what you do. Because even in, you know, even when you, I mess up and, and, you know, I look to my heavenly father, I know that he loves me. And I know that no matter what I repent and, and he's going to open, welcome me with open arms, you know, just like the, the return of the prodigal son, you know, you're going to always welcome them with open arms, but you want to make sure that there is a level, there's a standard that you have to set. And if you're not setting that standard in your house, you're setting your kids up for failure. You know, the, the participation trophies and stuff like that. You have to set that level of standard. You have to, because if you're not, you're setting them up for failure. And that's not your job. Your job is to set them up for success. And even if it's, you have to, you know, sacrifice some of your stuff so that way they can succeed, you, you'll get yourself back later on double, but you got to make sure that they succeed because remember you're going to get to a certain point where you can't go to anymore, but they're going to want to leapfrog over you. And that's the whole purpose about being a parent. You want to see them leapfrog over you. You want to see them continue to succeed, you know? And, and I mean, like in aviation, you know, you look at Chuck Yeager, the man broke the sound barrier, but how would anyone even believe that we have aircraft that go three, four, five times the speed of sound? You know, the Wright brothers, when they first, you know, developed their, their Wright flyer and they flew 192 feet. Well, now we have aircraft that can literally fly for 24 hours unmanned, you know? So you always want to go for that leap and you want to make sure you instill that standard to always be raising that bar. A hundred percent. And uh, you mentioned there the participation trophy. So I'm not even going to ask you your opinion about that because I, I already can see. Awesome. I, I agree. I agree with that. Perfect. So I'm guessing you also do not let your kids uh, set your thermostat in the house, eh? No, no. It's like you, you, you deal with it. You know, we got fans. You're good. You're good. You know, weather is, you know, hey, man, you know, if it's a nice day, six degrees, open up the windows. We're good to go. You know, we're, we're, we're good. We're good. Awesome. So, Sean, tell us about what kind of coaching do you offer people and do you offer one on one training? Is it consulting? Is it through your site? How do they find you and how does this work? Okay, so um, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. I also offer group coaching, and I also offer, you know, webinars. I'm actually setting up some webinars that, with a, a few friends of our, mine um, on dads and stuff like that, so I'll be able to, you know, send that out. But you can find me. You can email me directly at Sean, S-E-A-N, at faithfullyled.com, uh, and you can find me there, or you can message me through Facebook on Faithfully Led or Instagram on Faithfully Led. I, I post daily there. And you can find me on those links there, or you can find me on LinkedIn, and you can contact me directly. And uh, I actually have a Calendly, uh, and I can, I can share with you, so you can share with your listeners. And uh, also for your listeners, I'm actually going to give you guys a free ebook, so that way you guys can understand the OODA loop. And uh, so that way your listeners can download that for free, and you, know, you can understand the concepts of that OODA loop to really you know, have with your hand. It's going to be a short, quick read. It's not that bad, you know, just a couple of minutes and, and, you know, be able to understand that. And if you want to divulge deeper into that, you contact me and uh, we can do that. But also I, I teach about deep uh, leadership tactics where if you're a business owner and you want to be able to build your morale of your team, or if you want to be, uh, you know, have build innovators within your team, I teach on that also on the, on leadership goals on how to transform your team into a winning team. Also, uh, using the tactics that I've learned and I actually taught and trained on in the military where I literally trained, taking over the training program and turned it on its head uh, with another 
a great friend of mine and uh, we actually had other units asking questions on how we turned everything around in such a rapid time. So we, you know, where you use that as a basis. And so I teach that, I teach one-on-one group. And uh, you know, if you follow those links there and you get me and I'll be posting more stuff as they come up. And uh, you know, if you want me as a speaker to innovate and, and invigorate your, your life, you got no problem doing that also. You find me on there and, and uh, with the links and then just book yourself and we'll have a, and I also offer free consultations. So, you know, if you don't know if maybe what I teach is for you, uh, you know, I, every first, you know, session is free so that way we can get to know each other and understand each other and see if it's a best fit. Because like I said, my style of teaching may not work with you, but we may resonate on another level and I may, might be able to impart other wisdom where I can be that just, you know, inspirational coach where, you know, hey, you need that little pick me up. You got it. I'm there for you, you know, and, and we can work that way. Very good. And if you, if you didn't have time for you guys listening, if you didn't have time to catch all of that, you can check on the show notes. I'll have the links to all of that there so you can find Sean easily. And in and case tune you did the podcast. So also tune into the podcast. I, I can't forget, forget. I almost forgot about that. I have my podcast faithfully led. Um, you can find it on Stitcher radio, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, and we're going to be kind of doing a little bit more different. You're going to, I'm going to, you know, change it up a little bit. Um, uh, actually have a lot more interviews and a lot more, you know, innovative coaches. And I'm also a co-host for high impact leadership with my good friend of mine, Patrick Walsh. So, you know, find us on there also. So, you know, all that stuff, you can check us out and, you know, just be inspired. Exactly. So the podcast, again, is the Faithfully Led podcast, and it will be on the show notes as well for everybody to check. So, Sean, I really appreciate you coming over and talking to all of us. This is very, very exciting, and, man, I, I wish we had more time to – dig into (laughs) i appreciate you quinn thank you so much man this is an honor it was a great blessing it was a pleasure man i really do appreciate it thank you so much and i look forward to to hearing more from you uh i've been listening to to your podcast and it is it's very very cultivating so thank you for that oh no not a problem thank you i appreciate you thank you man all right everybody thank you very much for listening Please check out our channel and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you're listening, and have an amazing day. Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.